Ronaldo is ready. Strikes. World Cup Match Day 2 is over. Match Day 3 has already begun. We came within a VAR call of both Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi being knocked out in the first round of uh, this World Cup. It's been insanity. A lot of teams are going through that we expected. We're here to break it down. We'll be covering uh, Match Day 2 that's already completed and Match Day 3 that's already begun. Uh, I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad. Joined, as always, by the illustrious, the lovely, the fantastic, and the uh, the summer-loving Phil Kaidel. You can find him on Twitter at Phil Kaidel, K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. Phil, World Cup. Here we are. Match day two's done. Match day three's on its way. We're already starting to fill out the bracket. And uh, Portugal certainly made things more difficult on themselves. But uh, let's uh, let's get to it. How are you feeling? It's a pleasure to be back with you again, Russell. Thanks so much. Uh, it's funny. I was thinking the other day that while this World Cup feels like it's been going on for quite some time, it's also now moving really quickly because now we're in that third match day where all the group's third matches are played at the same time, so nobody theoretically has an advantage of knowing the other match's result while uh, theirs hasn't yet been played. So things are starting to accelerate and pick up, which is the best part of the World Cup for my money. Once you get to this third match day and things start to move more quickly, and then you see the bracket take shape. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It certainly speeds everything up, and I, I find it to be just a little bit of a bummer because you know we spend so much time getting used to having three matches a day being able to, you know, take in all of the action and, and you know, unless you have picture in picture pulled over, you've got one on a, on a tablet or on your phone and, you know, it just makes it a little bit more difficult than maybe uh, you'd like it to be. I certainly was kind of bummed you know, having to choose between different matches, even games that are rather inconsequential to the to the standings and moving forward. I still want to take all the sights and sounds in and, and really get a feel for all the games. And, you know, luckily DVR makes things a lot easier than they were decades ago. Um, but, you know, here we are. Just quickly, at um, least yeah. we get to uh, flush the system of the Saudi Arabias and the Tunisias of the world. We can actually start to see the best of the world playing off and getting to a champion. A hater of the Middle East, Phil Kaidel. All right, uh, or at least of their teams. Uh, group A. So, uh, really quick, Uruguay won their group, a 3-0 win over Russia. Um, we, we, I think we're reminded pretty uh, frequently how bad this group was, how bad the bottom of this group was. And ultimately, Group A kind of finished out uh, Uruguay with nine points. They went 3-0, and ended up scoring uh, five goals. <laughs> they allowed none, which was, I thought, a little bit surprising. Um, the Russian team, which was, I, I guess we would say was a bit of a standout. I think we had both said that Egypt was going to be likely a team to keep an eye on because of, because of Mohammed, Mohammed Salah. Um, they finished the group with six points, two wins, a draw, and a, a goal differential of four. So not bad. I, I think maybe more than anything. I was just surprised by the amount of goals they scored. They um, they scored the most in their group. They scored nearly as many goals. They were one off of scoring as many goals as the other three teams in the group combined, which was interesting. Saudi Arabia, we knew, was going to be bad. They did manage to pick up a victory uh, in this uh, World Cup. And Egypt. Uh, poor Egypt. I mean, when Saudi Arabia finishes with more points than you in a World Cup, you know it's an issue. And, uh, you know, granted, we knew that this World Cup was going to be impacted, at least uh, in Egypt's case, because of the injury status of Mohamed Salah and not exactly knowing what you were going to be able to get out of him. But 
it certainly, I, I would say, has to be a disappointment for Egypt to uh, to finish this off with a uh, negative goal differential of four and and no points to show for it in this World Cup. Well, in my humble opinion, it's uh, the tone was set when Saudi Arabia gave up five goals to Russia in the first match of the tournament. Uh, for this group especially, that put everything in uh, a kind of a sideways posture, and especially for Egypt, who did not get the result early that they needed and never seemed to recover. Uh, I predicted in our last show that Salah wouldn't even play the third match. I was wrong about that. He played and he scored, but they lost 2-1 to Saudi Arabia, who I thought was the worst team in this group. And for me, the story of this group is not so much Russia accumulating all these goals and scoring and getting six points in the group and going through. It's Egypt losing all three matches and looking absolutely bereft doing it. Yep. Um, so I, I think it makes a lot of sense to get out of this, but the Group A um, matchups in the next round, they're going to be facing off against uh, Group B, um, which certainly was the, the group that had a, a ton of, of intrigue. Um, and, and now looking forward to it without, you know, I, it's not like we're giving it away. Everybody knows what happened. But Portugal and Spain both went through just like we thought they would. But uh, we had some some really interesting things happen, especially the VAR. If you're watching the Portugal game, um, you were treated to perhaps one of the, the I don't know, worst examples of what VAR could be. I don't, did you, uh, did you catch either of these, Phil, live? Were you now watching take, Portugal or, or Spain? But Take I'll, the listeners through it. Okay, and I'll so chime por- in. So Portugal has a, a few things going on. We knew that there was a possibility that Portugal could win the group. We knew there was a possibility that Spain could win the group. And there was an outside chance that one of the other two teams could have gone through if Portugal had lost. And I believe if Spain had lost their match, um, I think one of the teams could have jumped over. It was it was close. I think um, Morocco technically was a- ahead of Iran, depending on certain um, things. Iran ended up with four points in the group, so if they had if they had won over Portugal, that could have uh, vaulted them. Anyway, doesn't matter. What happened was we saw a, a scenario where VAR played out in a, a pretty negative way, and it, it was at the end of this uh, this Portugal match. While both games were going on, uh, Portugal goes up by a goal. Eventually, uh, a a VAR review happens that awards a penalty to Cristiano Ronaldo that he had not been given on the field. And it took a while to give that, that uh, penalty out. Ronaldo goes up and pulls a Messi. He, he doesn't convert the penalty, which ends up being catastrophic for the next round, which we'll get to in a second. But then at the end of the game, in, in pretty much the dying embers of the game, um, you were in a situation where the referee took, it felt like four minutes on the field, to decide to go to VAR, or VAR decided that you know it was worthwhile for them to uh, to review this this play, and it was a handball sort of. I mean, the ball came off of a defender's uh, head, and then it went down to the arm, and uh, the VAR review that took forever to award ended up going against Portugal, um, and Iran ended up getting a penalty which they converted. It was one one. But, you know, for a system that we've said was fast and has been efficient and has been fantastic to this point, you know, we were treated to, I guess, like the one negative side of video replay, which is, you know, takes a long time. And and if it ever bogs things down and officials get too reliant on it, you can end up in scenarios where games drag on. And that kind of happened in this Portugal-Iran match, which was a shame. And, you know, again, Ronaldo came up small on that penalty, and that ultimately leads to them now having to go and play this Uruguay squad 
that won every single one of their matchups, and they avoid, or or I guess they, you know, they avoid the what would I think be considered a much easier matchup, not only now but perhaps an easier um, an easier shot going through in the knockout stages of playing against Russia. So uh, a lot of things happened, and and you know it all kind of happened while VAR was used a ton. Also. <laughs> Another VAR thing that happened was the the elbow from Cristiano Ronaldo that likely should have given gotten him a red card and had him suspended for the uh, the first round of the knockout stage. So it was it was just a lot like Portugal Iran. We would just call it the VAR game. I don't have the energy to sit here and bag on Ronaldo. His team is going through. Uh, he missed a penalty. Penalties get missed. I didn't look at that as him coming up small. These things happen. I mean, but for his play in the first two matches in this group stage. Uh, Portugal would not have been in the position they were in where a draw was enough to get them through. I will agree with you, however, uh, that him missing that penalty and then uh, Iran subsequently being awarded a penalty that they convert, which leads to a draw, which keeps Portugal from winning the group, is a major problem for Portugal because they are there's no way they're going to be favored against Uruguay, and they definitely would have been favored against Russia. And the happiest uh, team, obviously, out of all of this is Spain because Spain came into the tournament. We talked a lot about how they fired their manager days before the tournament started, and it was disarray. And could this even lead to Spain not getting out of the group at all? Well, they win the group very narrowly. And as you've already alluded to, they are being given the greatest gift you could ask for, which is facing Russia. Now, I know Russia's home, and I know Russia had a very impressive start to this tournament. But Russia was betrayed in that Uruguay match. They were exposed. They accrued all those points against Saudi Arabia and Egypt who aren't very good. They got throttled by uh, Uruguay. And now Russia's going to have to play Spain. And if they thought Uruguay was a test, where do they take on this Spanish side? This could get out of hand pretty quickly. When you start to look at the bracket as it's setting up right now, so on one side of the bracket, uh, if if you're Portugal... The teams that you could potentially place, uh, play right now, like in, in the uh, next round, let's just assume that Portugal or Uruguay, we'll just kind of break it out from there. Um, their next matchup is going to go against, if the bracket current or stands as is currently constructed, you'd be playing against either the winner of France or Nigeria, although there is, I guess there is a small chance that Nigeria is able to, to jump up. Um, I, I'm trying to think of where I saw the graphic, but it's like the way that that things are projected to work out. There's like one side that has six uh, six recent World Cup winners on one half of the bracket, and the other bracket is essentially like beat one or two top teams, like maybe beat a Croatia, and um, I think like a Mexico or something like that, and you pretty much walk your way into the World Cup final. Um, it it seems like assuming things play out the way that they're expected to. One half of the bracket is just going to be murderers row. Like you want to talk about the group of death, it's the bracket of death. The other side is is essentially you know two maybe three good teams that are you know projected to you know maybe compete for a World Cup going into this. Um, they're going to have a cakewalk heading into the World Cup. So um, it the the fallout and the ramifications of that missed penalty um, you know could loom large. And if uh, Portugal goes out to Uruguay in this first match and um, you know, they're knocked out of this World Cup, and Spain clobbers Russia. I mean, it's it's going to haunt uh, Ronaldo. And, you know, for as much as I say that, you know, legacy matters and what you do in these international tournaments matters, I mean, you can't come up small in that in that moment. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is surprising to you that I'm going to bag on Ronaldo about it, but 
you know, it, it really is, you know, potentially the difference between giving yourself an easy path forward and, you know, really having to earn it. Now, if, if you're able after coming up small in that situation, if you're able to get your team to a World Cup semifinal or World Cup final, and it ends up being the murderer's row bracket that it, it's projected to be, well then, I mean, dang man, like that, that's gonna it's gonna raise your uh, your profile even more. Ronaldo's head's not gonna fit through uh, an airport, let alone have a, a better bust of it made. So, uh, let's take a look, I guess, at Group C. Denmark had a 1-1 draw with Australia, and uh, France beat Peru 1-0 on Kylian Mbappe's goal. So, the way that that group is currently set up, we've got France in first with six points, Denmark in second with four points, but those two teams are about to face off. Uh, they are going to match up. Oh, they're match up right now. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that they're playing this moment as we are recording. It's in the 63rd minute. It's nil-nil. If the result holds, that would mean that France would go through. Denmark would be uh, second in the group. If Denmark is able to pull it out, they will obviously jump into first. It was a very uncompetitive group. Australia and Peru combined one point through two matches. And, um, yeah, that's where we're Here's at. Here's the other thing we need to point out here, actually, since we're talking about things that are happening in real time while we record. While Denmark and France are scoreless in the second half, Peru is beating Australia 2-0, which means that no matter what happens in the France-Denmark match, they're both going through because Peru had zero points going into this match. And Australia was the only team that could have jumped up and bitten Denmark, and that's apparently not going to happen unless Australia scores three goals in the last half hour. So, uh, you know, form held here, really. Uh, I think we both took France and Denmark out of this group, and they're both going out of this group. France is obviously very happy with this scoreless draw that they're playing to right now. They're going to try their best not to allow Denmark to score because France, for all the reasons we talked about in terms of seeding, France really want to have that group win in their pocket going into uh, the knockout stage. But, you know, as for Denmark, uh, it's not exactly a catastrophe. Um, if they were to, say, have to face Croatia in the next round, I don't think Denmark's afraid of Croatia. So France and Denmark have they largely gotten what they wanted today. Well, but they've largely gotten what they wanted today insofar as Peru went out. And Peru, with nothing to play for other than pride, are, are putting a pretty convincing beating on Australia, which is great for France and Denmark, uh, not so great for the Socceroos. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Do we want to go to Group D? I know that we're keeping keeping this thing in order, but I think Group D has the most intrigue. Do we want to f save that one for last year? Do you want to just go for it? Oh, no, let's hit it now. But why okay. would we punish our listeners? They've, they've okay. been so faithful, and I'm sure they want to hear you kick uh, Lionel Messi in the teeth again. Nope, I'm, I'm sure they're a little to. disappointed that I was to. so restrained about Ronaldo, uh, but I know you won't have the same sort of restraint, so go ahead and let him have it. No, I, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to kick him while he's down. I, you know, I, I've been so critical of him, but it's, it's not his fault now. Um, this is his manager, his manager, who, by the way, looks like if uh, Pitbull hadn't become a rapper and instead had become like a, uh, a deadbeat dad who uh, goes to the gym three times a week and uh, likes to load up on the creatine and the whey powder, get some really crappy tattoos, not pay his child support. Like that to me is what this manager looks like. Um, no offense to him, of course. And I'm I'm not sure that he exactly listens to the podcast, so I, I think we need we I need to do the looks okay. like game. Yeah, you know, we need to do the looks like game more often in this show. Was there anything more surprising though? Like I, in watching that that uh, second match, watching their manager uh, get so animated on the sideline, wearing that um, 
that like designer t-shirt the I, th- I think it was like an armani exchange t-shirt he's got the blazer over top and then like as they get into the last 20 minutes of the match he rips the jacket off only to reveal that the shirt is skin tight and that he's got two pythons for arms that are covered in full sleeves of tattoos and uh he just got he just uh, man he he went so over the top it was uh it was really funny to watch but um let's let's kind of i guess break these things down so None of it was surprising to me. The um, the the Argentina Croatia match was one of the least surprising things that I think has happened in this World Cup. We've talked about the biggest glaring weakness, or at least the two biggest glaring weaknesses for Argentina are that Caballero is not a world class goalie. Right? We talked about that in the in the preview show. Yep. The other thing that I've railed on is their midfield sucks, and the way that this manager has continued to roll out a crappy midfield is going to ultimately doom them. And, you know, people can say what they want. They can uh, think that I'm out of my mind. You certainly think I'm out of my mind in saying that perhaps they should consider moving Messi back into a holding midfield role or into some sort of a form of a central midfield role um, and allow somebody like Gonzalo Higuain or Paulo Dybala to come on and, and, you know, provide some legitimate difference in the attack. They haven't done it. They went into a, uh, a 3-4-3. It was kind of more like a 3-4-2-1 in their last matchup uh, against Croatia, and they got killed. I mean, they got straight-up slaughtered. And what's Croatia's biggest strength? Their midfield. They absolutely controlled everything in this matchup. I mean, Rakitic and Modric could have done whatever they wanted at any given point. And ultimately, in, in like the dying embers of that game, they did. You know, the, the whole match felt like Croatia could have gone up 6-0. It never felt like Argentina really had a shot. And... I'm not going to blame Messi for it. You know, if if I think if their manager had set up a lineup that once again had taken advantage of guys that have started in uh, quarterfinal matchups in this year's Champions League, that would include guys like Angel Di Maria, who's still not, you know, I wouldn't say he's the best version of himself. You've got Di Maria, you've got Iguain, you've got Dybala. None of these guys started. You're still holding on to the hope that Perez is going to do something. You rolled out Salvio, you rolled out Acuna, you still you still continue to roll out Mesa. Like, I don't know what this guy's doing. And, you know, when... You didn't even mention how washed Mascherano is at this point. Oh, I know. Well, it's not even worth it. Mascherano's, what, 35? He can't cover the ground that, that they need him to. The way that he's built this system, uh, Mascherano is, is screwed as well. Like, you're just... It's not even putting your guys in bad positions. It's putting them in, in just impossible situations. So um, and when you look at Messi's heat chart, right? Look at his heat chart around the field. He looks like he's playing in a defensive midfield role. And, and you're starting him in a lot of these formations. He's been starting him as one of, a few, uh, one of two forwards or as a winger. And when the guy's spending most of his time trying to control the midfield because Mascherano and Perez can't do it, I mean, that tells you all you need to know. And tells you that this manager is is incompetent and that he continues to roll out lineups that do not take advantage of that team's strength. And that team's strength, whether, you know, it, it's something that they've shown or not, which they certainly haven't, is they've got great attacking guys. And they have guys that can play a variety of styles, that can present a variety of fronts uh, to a defensive, uh, a defensive unit against them. And they haven't taken advantage of it. And that's mostly because they don't roll out those guys until the 65th or 70th minute. Like you, I, I like it's it's so frustrating. It is so frustrating. I'm all right with you criticizing uh, Sampioli for the way he has set up his team. 
I found it an amazing contrast. Uh, you described this man being so big and so strong and puffed up and tattoos and skin tight shirt and all that stuff. But you could see the fear, the fear, capital letters, crawl onto his face as that match wore on. And it was obvious that he didn't have the horses and that Croatia were controlling the midfield, as you pointed out, and had all the better chances. And Messi just, for whatever reason, didn't seem to have it again. And you could see Sampioli starting to, the gears were going through the head like, wow, we're going to lose this match. And we might even get rolled in this match, which, of course, they ended up losing 3-0. Now he's starting to look at, you know, they have one point after two matches. And it was only a relatively surprising 2-0 uh, loss for Iceland to Nigeria that even kept Argentina in the conversation for today. Now, Argentina is going to play later this afternoon, and they need a win and they need help. But, look, I still hold by my prior argument that putting Messi in a deep-lying role is a waste of his talent. But he's playing there anyway, Phil. That's what I'm saying. It, regardless of the role that he that Sampioli's putting him in, that that's where his heat match shows him. He's he's in that role. So then just put him there. Well, know, I'm trying to agree with you in that I think the personnel needs to be different. Yeah. And if anything, I think they should have put out those players that you mentioned earlier, Di Maria, Dybala, play a very offensive-looking group and risk losing 6-0 if that's what it takes because you know the, the group they rolled out there was not threatening and did not put Messi in a position to succeed. And especially today, they not only need to win, it would serve Argentina well if they can manage it uh, to win big they need uh, a here. slaughter, yeah. Yeah, they need, to beat, they need to beat Nigeria pretty handily. And then they need to get help from Croatia in Croatia's match against Iceland. And that's tricky because Croatia's the team that's through. And so, yeah, Croatia would love to, you know, continue their winning ways and, and put a stamp on their win of the group. But they don't need it the way Argentina needs it today. So, you know, we may be looking at Lionel Messi's most recent final international match today for Argentina. Yeah, so, I mean, as, as you look at this, uh, probably the biggest issue that Argentina faces is their goal differential, which is, you know, to your point, why they need to score so much. Luckily for them, they really do control their own fate in a sense, insofar as, you know, if, if Iceland ends up drawing with Croatia and Argentina is able to win, they'll they'll hop Iceland. And then it just becomes, you know, you need to have at least, I think it's going to be four goals is what you would need to have. No, three, because I guess it would go to head-to-head -head matchup. If you get three goals against Nigeria, uh, that's going to slaughter their goal differential. It's going to erase yours as well. Um, but they, they need to win, and they need to win big. And, and right now, we've seen nothing that gives us the impression that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. We, we, <laughs> and we're, we're not the only ones doing this, okay? International football media are spinning all these scenarios where all Argentina has to do is win convincingly against Nigeria, a team that on paper they should beat. And it's all going to be okay after all. But I, I absolutely 100% agree with what you just said. What have you seen from Argentina, not just in the last two matches in this World Cup, but in the year to 18 months to 24 months before this that suggests to you that they can just turn on, flip that switch, and get a 3-0 or a 3-1 or a 2-0 against Nigeria today. I don't know that that's going to happen. So here, here's the craziest part. So let's just imagine there's a scenario where Argentina is able to go through. You know who they're currently matched up against in the knockout stage if, if all results hold? They're going to play France. France would destroy them. I mean, well, this I, is what we talked about with the United States men's national team, where, uh, you know, the last time they were in the tournament four years ago, they played against Belgium. And 
it was a one nil, but you know it could have been. Uh, oh, I shouldn't say it was one nil. The point being, it was, what two one? It went to extra it was two time. one because Green Julian scored Green. An extra time. Yeah. That's right. But it was a match where uh, they were only in it because the goalkeeper literally made saves that he had no business making, and Belgium should have won that match in regulation by five or six goals. Um, yeah, I think. It's, it's impossible to think that Argentina could, even if they have a resounding victory over Nigeria today, somehow create momentum or confidence in their side enough to deal with France in any meaningful way. I just don't see that happening. So, I mean, if, if you're listening to this before Argentina goes out and plays today, um, you know, I think all you'll need to know in how this game is going to go is watch Messi during the national anthem. The last time that he was out, he looked like a guy who, you know, had... Uh, a massive amount of debt and uh, debt collectors calling him ad nauseum. He looked absolutely worn out, hand on the forehead, just rubbing his forehead as if to say like he, he knew that it was over before it began, that he was going to have to shoulder this massive weight that, that just nobody should have to shoulder. Um, well, and who would want to be who would want to be messy right now anyway? He's got the likes of Diego Maradona showing up in his dressing room and essentially berating the Argentine national team for not being as great as Maradona was in his time. Uh, he, I mean, he absolutely crushed Messi after the uh, Croatia game. Um, one of the quotes that he had was, uh, I did bad things in my life and in my career, but I never took a pictures with a goat, especially when there is another player who many see as greater. You can't claim to be the greatest and then perform like that. Maybe Maradona should have taken a picture of him palming a soccer ball over his head. Whoa. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, I, I imagine the first thing Maradona said when he walked into the dressing room was, who's holding? <laughs> uh, apparently today, uh, if this makes you feel any better, apparently today Maradona came out and said that I would like to talk to him, say to him that you are not to blame for anything, absolutely anything. So that's a, uh, a heck of a turnaround, I guess, on the, uh, the day that Messi needs to go out and have an incredible game in order for his team to go through. If I'm building this lineup, Phil... And, and kind of to the point that we were, were both kind of going back and forth about, I think we're in agreement. Uh, I think this needs to have a, an all-out, you know, murderer's row lineup. I think you've got to figure out a way to get Iguain in, try to get in Dybala and Aguero, and if you can, figure out a way to get Di Maria in there as well in some kind of a role and, and just see if you can go for it. I don't know. We'll and see. I think you have to be ready with a quick hook. I think if anybody looks not on it, not in it, not at their best, um, you use your subs early. You run the risk of, you know, running out of substitutions and playing with ten at the end if there's some fluke injury. But so what? I mean, and that's, you are really up against it now if you're Argentina. And that's a little bit of the issue that I think that they're going to run into. So like, uh, I, I think Di Maria only has value to you as a starter, but a quick hook on him. I don't know how he would affect the game as a sub. Um, to me, Di Maria is kind of this weird player where I th- I think he's kind of the equivalent of what Uzel is to Germany. Um, insofar as like these guys have immense talent, I, I would say that Ozil probably is is better right now than Di Maria is. I think Di Maria is at a stage of his career where he's dropped off uh, considerably to you know even a few years ago, but he still brings value and he still brings value in pressure stages. I mean he's he's been deep into the Champions League before and we know that there's a certain pressure that goes with that. There should be no situation where Mesa ends up starting this match. But we shall see. I'm so you hate him, but I can't defend him anymore. I agree with you. Mesa cannot start this match. It probably shouldn't even see the pitch at all. And if they're going to start Mascherano, they better figure out a better way to, uh, to I, I guess, kind of cover up the way that he just can't cover ground. We'll see. Well, we the problem is right now you have 
at least the way Argentina have been playing. You have three positions on the pitch at any given time that you have to have cover for. You're only allowed to start 11 guys. So yeah. that's really the problem. There's just too many holes. And as great as Messi is, whether you want to admit it or not, yes. as great as he is, there's only so much he can do if there's three guys behind him and around him who can't do the job. Yep. Uh, let's move on to Group E. Brazil is in a uh, pretty powerful spot right now. They had a 2-0 win, win over Costa Rica. Uh, Serbia lost to Switzerland 2-1, which sets up an interesting last day. Uh, as we look at the table, Brazil and Switzerland are both sitting on four points. Serbia with three. Costa Rica very easily out in this uh, scenario. Which one of us picked Costa Rica? Was that you? That or would that- be me. Okay. Not as bad. Not a bad. Not as bad a selection as my selection of South Korea, which we'll get to later. Uh, but certainly a disgraceful selection. One that I should be held accountable for. Um, again, I, I really thought Costa Rica would bring a little more attitude and spunk and want to here. Uh, I'm not going to say that they're resting on their prior laurels, but they still haven't scored in this tournament, and yep. it, it doesn't get any easier for them uh, in their final match. So. You always you know. talk about surprising, surprising goal totals. I mean, Brazil through two matches only has three goals put in the back of the net. For such a talented team, you would expect them to uh, to be doing better. Um, as the matchups kind of you know pan out here. Well, this the- is a crazy situation. Yeah, Switzerland plays Costa Rica to finish. So even though Switzerland is only on three points, and uh, pardon me, Switzerland's on four, and Serbia's on three, and Brazil's on four. So right now, Brazil and Switzerland are up top with four points, and Serbia has three. The problem for Brazil, certainly, is that Serbia is no pushover at all. They play each other. They can't just sit back and play for a draw. Maybe Brazil could based on goal difference, but that's not the way you want to think. Um, if Switz- if uh, Switzerland goes and uh, annihilates Costa Rica, which is certainly a possibility because Costa Rica has nothing left to play for, you, know, you could see Brazil or, or uh, Serbia, who were pre-tournament uh, if not favorites, then certainly thought to be likely to get out of this group, just pushed out. Yeah, it it seems like things are going to be interesting to say the least. Um, if you had to handicap it right now, do we think that Brazil is going to beat Serbia, or do you think it's going to be a situation where it could be a tie? I, I think they're going to draw. I really do. I think it's going to be okay. one one. Um, Brazil still get- has the favorable goal differential, and uh, you know, as long as they. Uh, draw with serbia they can't be passed by serbia but they could be passed by and likely i i would assume would be passed by switzerland who should who should beat los ticos but yeah but i don't think brazil's much worried about their seating the way that other teams might be i'm gonna look really quick and see if we have an idea so if they hold the first spot that would mean that they would play (laughs) they should be worried phil if, uh, if Brazil finishes in uh, first place and Group F holds as is currently holding, they would have a knockout stage matchup against Germany. That, uh, that, my friend, is not a good scenario for the mental well-being of Brazil. As a matter of fact, if I'm Brazil, I might just go for the tie. I might have to. I might, I might not want to uh, get into any kind of a group where I have to play Germany anytime soon. If they were to fall, or if Germany uh, somehow were to hop Mexico, then we'd be in a different situation. But as of right now, that's who they'd be playing. Um, that well, that is and a, I think, a frightening I think Germany, proposition. I think, and let's just phase into Group F. Germany is probably going to win this group because they're playing my trendy pick of South Korea. 
who <laughs> have not won a match yet in this tournament. And uh, Germany are going to play South Korea in the third match day, and they're probably going to win on the order of three or four or five to nothing. And unless Mexico gets a result with Sweden, that would be enough to put Germany through uh, as the, the group leader. Um, now, all that being said, uh, I don't want to sell Sweden short. They're not a bad side. And let's be honest, that Germany three points that they have wasn't, I won't call it lucky, but with, say, 15 minutes left in that match, were you going to see them winning that match? Not me. Not uh, when Jerome Boateng made one of the dumbest tackles I've, I've ever seen in a World he Cup. He should have no. been sent off twice. He committed a what seemed to be a clear penalty in the first five, six minutes of the match, hauled a striker down from behind in the box. It wasn't even a foul called. Uh, and so, yeah, then he later gets sent off. I mean, he should have been sent off twice. They were playing with 10 men. It did not look like they were going to win. And then Cruz hits an absolutely beautiful curling uh, free. It's not really a free kick because he, he touched it and it was sent back to him. But it was a really nice kind of training ground play uh, at, that he converted that saved Germany's blushes. So, you know, I hear you crowing about, ooh, uh, if you're Brazil, you want to avoid Germany at all costs. Well, yeah. Germany hadn't looked that good so far in this tournament. And I, you picked them to win this whole tournament, so you better hope Germany figures it out and quick. You're, you're smart enough to know that the psychology of, of that situation is just atrocious for Brazil going into it. I mean, this isn't even a matter of what the teams look like and what their form is going into the match. I mean, it is, it is absolutely going to weigh on the mind of every Brazilian player that 7-1 to one drubbing that they received in the last World Cup, which, by the way, they hosted and were embarrassed and thrown out of the tournament by the Germans. Uh, I, I think there is so much more of a mental aspect to that matchup than anything uh, in any level of skill or anything on the field uh, could ever you know, compare it to. So. All right, I'm calling it now in the next round. Brazil 4, Germany 1. Get uh, out. Before we leave Group F, though, real quickly. Mind. Be- before we leave Group F very quickly, uh, you got to hand it to Mexico. I don't want to. Uh, it makes me sad to do it, and we spent a lot of time, mostly it was me spending a lot of time, bemoaning the fact that Fox went all in on El Tri, and uh, Landon Donovan is pictured holding a Mexico scarf over his head, and Alexi Lalas is clucking his tongue and you know, shaming, essentially, American soccer fans for being unwilling to support Mexico, and uh, another one of my phenomenal predictions that hasn't really worked out in this World Cup is that I said Mexico wouldn't win a match in this World Cup. I thought they would lose or draw them all. Well, they're unbeaten. They have six points. Their goal difference is two. They've scored three times and only given up one. They have to be considered favorites to get out of this group. And I don't know what to say. You know, They have validated the faith of all of these American entities who encouraged American soccer fans to get behind Mexico. But I will say this. I know that they've won twice, but at least from where I sit and reviewing, uh, again, football media and kind of getting a sense of what the tournament looks like here in America, I'm not feeling it. Like, I know Mexico are very possibly going through out of Group F, but I don't feel a groundswell of support for the Mexican team. I feel a lot of indifference. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are certain players for the Mexican team that I was really unaware of and I wasn't, you know, that exposed to. And I think Chucky Lozano is a guy that, that will certainly be uh, somebody that we're going to hear a lot of. Um, I'm assuming that there are going to be a lot of big clubs in Europe that are going to be uh, trying to acquire his services for next season. And, um, and know, I have nothing it, but respect for a guy like that who goes into a tournament like this and makes his name and makes himself money. 
that absolutely like, whether however i feel about the mexican national team as against the united states men's national team for a player like that to come in and announce himself and make himself money good on him that's awesome yeah absolutely yep um let's move on to group g um oh wait hold on before we move on from group g i just want to say i i know that that you made it kind of sound like germany's three points um you know we're we're a bit lucky and they were um but man if if you didn't know that germany was down a man you certainly would not have known it at the end of that match i mean they they played that the end of that match about as well as i think anybody could have expected them to there is a lineup change that i think they need to look at making and i and the second they brought Julian Brunt in at the end of that match, the entire dynamic changed. Now, they inserted Marco Royce into the starting lineup in the last match, and I thought it made a lot of sense. Um, and and they were, what was it, uh, Ru- Ruby went out early with what looked like a broken nose. I mean, it was he was gushing blood like a geyser from his face. Um, you know, they, they made some lineup changes, and I think going with a little bit more of an attack, men, uh, an attack mindset is a is a good idea for the Sherman squad going forward, but um, I, I think that Brunt has to be somebody they consider putting into the starting lineup. I think just the the difference in the way that they were able to attack Sweden at the end of that match um, kind of shows that there's significant value in, in having him in there. Werner looked awesome when when um, Brunt and Werner kind of swapped, and Werner ended up going out on the left flank and ended up drawing that um, last second free kick that ended up being converted by Tony Kroos and what might have been. One of the coolest, most clutch shots I've ever seen in a World Cup. Um, I, I just think that that's where the dynamic bit of this team is. And as as much as you like to, um, you know, when the club season's going on, you like to kind of rail against Robert Lewandowski. Allow this to be the moment where I ask, where has Thomas Muller been? He is a guy who absolutely dominated the World Cup in 2010, and here we are in 2018, and it's it's just as as if he's not on the field at times. He's just not converting his opportunities and he's he really does not look nearly as dangerous as a lot of these younger kids by the way did you happen to see because occasionally i like to uh, inject a little bit of uh, betting analysis or trivia or or whatnot with this stuff did you see that there was a a better who lost out on a huge payday on that cruise free kick or that play because cruise scored from just inside the box so this guy put i believe it was five euro down to win 7,000 euro on Cruz, scoring a goal from outside the box in this match. <sighs> and if so, the, the free kick was set up just outside the box. He taps it to a teammate who sets it up for him just inside the box, and he hits it from just inside the box and curls it in the corner. And if uh. you're the guy who has that betting ticket, it has to be the most disgusting feeling in the world. It's kind of like that game a long time ago where Brian Westbrook for the Eagles uh, was going to go in for a touchdown that would have swung the line for the Eagle betters, but he fell on the one-yard line and Turned won his team the, the match, yeah. won his team the game, but didn't win the Eagle betters their their bets. Um, yeah, the guy who bet on Cruz to score from outside the box there had to just be dying because, I mean, 7,000 euro is nothing to sneeze at, and it was a long shot that he had the guts to pick, and he missed it by like literally a foot or two. Yeah, that would be absolutely uh, – it, it was – Man, if if I'm that guy and Royce sets that ball up just inside, man, that that's got to be the worst feeling in the world. It's a great moment. It's a great moment. It's a very interesting Well, here again, and, how can and dramatic how can, win, but even if you have that betting ticket. Betting. Yeah, even if you have that betting ticket, you can't complain. They scored the goal. That's their job. It's not their yeah. job to score it from outside the box. That's a you problem. Yeah, that's true. Uh let's move on to uh group G really quick. 
Group G, very interesting. Uh, I, I would say, you know, I, I started this tournament off saying that, you know, England really had to prove that they were mentally tough enough, and they have. They're, they're top of the table. Uh, they and Belgium both have six points. Tunisia and Panama, thanks for coming, I, I guess. Thanks for showing up. Um, England's drubbing of Panama was not totally unforeseen. Um, there, there was like a weird moment in that Panama match where England's up, I think at that point, 6-0. Panama scores their first ever World Cup goal and their fans were going ballistic and it, it was almost as if they had just won the World Cup. And I, you know, I, as, as nice as that is, like there are no moral victories in soccer. Like to me, even though the World Cup is supposed to be this big unifying thing, like that's not a, uh, a moral victory. That's, you know, it's, it's cool that history was made, but like you just got slaughtered and it became increasingly clear that not only should you not have been in this World Cup, but that, like, you very likely are not going to make it back here anytime soon. You know, assuming that the U.S. pulls their head out of their collective rear ends and that Josie Altador and Michael Bradley don't wear the, the uh, men's national team kit ever again. You know, uh, it was, it, it was uh, I, I guess, not that shocking, but, like, come on, guys. Like, there was also allegedly a point in this match, and I didn't see it, where England scored one of their many goals and the match result was more or less out of question. And Panama tried to yank the ball out of its own net, run back to the center dot, and get it in play quickly to try to move the ball up the field while England were still in kind of post-coital celebration sensation. Um, look, I'm not going to call anybody, especially since I didn't see it, but if that's something that actually happened, if Panama tried to essentially quick pitch England after they scored and the, the match result was in, in no longer in doubt, come on, do better. Play better. So you know, it's, it's fun, especially if you uh, are watching world, the World Cup or you're talking about the World Cup with people who don't follow the sport very much. And they say, man, why is this Panama team even in this World Cup? And then you have to, you know, have that really disgusting moment where you say, because the U.S. men's national team couldn't go into Trinidad and Tobago and beat them on the final day. Beat them? Uh, guess, Get a point. You know, you know, they didn't even well, need I mean, to win. In, in fairness, though, Phil, like they should have beaten them. I mean, like, yes, like the, even going in and saying, oh, we need is a draw like that. That is a loser's mentality. I will not accept it. But like. Man, you couldn't even go into Trinidad and Tobago that had already been eliminated from World Cup contention, and this is what we get. We get Panama. Now, that's not to say that if, if things had been different and the U.S. had been in this group that they would have been going through. I still think that Belgium and, and England were well, certainly better clubs. That's what I was about to clubs. say. If you slot so, the U.S. And US MNT in this group, I don't think their performances against England or Belgium would have been significantly better. They'd have been better. Yeah, they wouldn't uh, have gotten you know, killed 6-1. But Right. Yeah. So Panama and Tunisia are going to go into uh, match day three, going for a little bit of a moral victory. Uh, hopefully for them, one of those teams will come out victorious. God help us if the first nil-nil draw of this tournament ends up being a great uh, barn burner of a Tunisia-Panama match. It is interesting, though, because England and Belgium go into this with the same goal differential, the same goals scored, the same goals allowed. And uh, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what the tiebreaker in this situation is. Well, it goes as far as something that I heard on the radio coverage this morning called the FIFA Fair Play tiebreaker, which takes into account red and yellow cards accrued. In other words, if you play a more clean version of football over the course of the tournament, you have the possibility of that being determined as the tiebreaker if head-to-head -head and goals for and goals against are all the same. That's pretty fluky, but and I don't know where that stands. I haven't done that sort of research yet. Hold on, I just Googled it. So an extremely stupid tiebreaker will be used if England draws with Belgium. All right, here we go. You ready? Yeah, I think you are right. So, um, um, bum, bum, bum. Great. so we go greatest number of points, goal difference in all matches, goals scored in all group matches, greatest number of points obtained, so that would be the same, 
they would be tied. Goal difference resulting from group matches between teams concerned, that's equal. Greater number of goals scored in all group matches, that is the same. And you're right. Rule seven, the breaking of, of the tie is rule number seven. Uh, greater number of points obtained regarding fair play conduct. So yellow cards are minus one point. Indirect red card as a result of a second yellow card are minus three points. Direct red card is minus four points. Yellow card and direct red is minus five points with only one of the deductions applied to a single player in a single game. That is the dumbest way to break a tie I've ever heard. Well, let's just we have a winner. So then. Belgium, let's just have somebody so win this match. Belgium right now, so I, I guess if you're looking to play that game, Belgium has three yellow cards through two matches and England has two. So, uh, you know, England has to play a clean game to maintain that tiebreaker, I guess. That well, is let's the, be very like, if that's if I mean, they're both going through, so it's not like one of them is going to get knocked out of the tournament, but what a dumb way to decide which team goes through in the World Cup. Well, let's be very clear, okay? The last thing any of these players are thinking about is if I get a yellow card in this match or, God forbid, a straight red, it could cost us the seventh tiebreaker. They're all out there trying to win the match, first of all. And playing to win the match means sometimes you're going to play on the edge and sometimes you're going to get carded. What I find interesting, though, is with this widespread knowledge that this could be the tiebreaker that uh, determines who wins this group and who doesn't, what does that mean for the match official? Does he call a tight match and show cards? Or does he basically let it be, you know, jail yard rules where you have to do something really significant to get carded because he's worried that it could come down to his decision making that puts one of these teams ahead of the other. So Mm -hmm. that's something to watch for. But look, I, I just am rooting for an entertaining, open and fun match that somebody wins because while I've been uh, fairly uh, critical of myself uh, for my horrible pick of South Korea and my pretty dreadful pick of Costa Rica and a few other things I've said with regard to this tournament. You know, you take swings and you miss. I did predict before this tournament started that England had a chance to undo a lot of its negative history and shed a lot of its baggage if they came and performed the way they're capable of, and they have done it. Harry Kane is a special player right now, and he's the type of player that can carry a side deep into a tournament. And on the other side... I took Belgium as my entry with Brazil in terms of the teams I thought would win this tournament. Belgium have been impressive. Lukaku is nothing like he is at Manchester United, as you can imagine. Uh, De Bruyne is still De Bruyne. Azar is still Azar. These guys are really good, and they score goals. And look, both of these sides have eight goals in two matches played. So we'll probably get a nil-nil draw, and it'll probably come down to some screwy yellow card that gets called. But let's hope it doesn't. Yep. Um, and I guess we'll take a look at Group H really quick on our way out here. Uh, Poland, who I think we both had predicted to go through, are both are are out. Colombia beat Poland 3-0. Japan and Senegal played to a uh, 2-2 draw, which I watched uh, while on a treadmill. It was a great match, it by the way. It was a very interesting match. Uh, Japan just simply did not want to uh, let that match go. So they're both on four points leading the group. Colombia and Senegal uh, are going to play, and then Japan and Poland are going to play to end that stage um the current group standings as it stands right now japan um four points senegal four points colombia three so um it it will be an exciting final day well japan's playing poland which poland has nothing to play for if japan wins that match obviously they win the group which i don't think anybody saw going into this nope but again give the japanese team a lot of credit they have uh, overachieved but they've shown extremely well they've played a very solid brand and entertaining brand of soccer um, 
football, whatever you want to say. The, the big one for me here that I'm fascinated by is Senegal and Colombia because there's a lot of speed and a lot of skill on both of these national teams. And I think both of them are going to go into this match realizing that while the matches are being played simultaneously, Japan is probably going to get a result and probably even beat Poland, who looked bereft. So, yeah, if you're Colombia, you're hell-bent to win. And if you're Senegal, you, you want to win too because it takes all the doubt out of it. So I, it's, I think it's great that Group H, which of course will be played last, has some of the most intrigue. In other words, it's not like Group G where we're fussing about whether England or Belgium are going to win the group, but they're already both through. This Group H situation is going to be an interesting watch, and there's going to be a lot at stake as the uh, group stage ends, which is a nice treat for all of us as we get ready for the knockout round. Bingo, bango, bongo. Couldn't have said it better myself, Phil. Um, I, I guess this is the point where I, um, I'm supposed to probably take the hit on uh, Japan. Because if you remember back in our World Cup preview show, I believe it was. Oh yeah. I had I had proposed the question. I, I didn't understand why, you know, South Korea and and even Japan had struggled. And I said Japan. I think if I remember correctly, I said Japan is so bad that I'm pretty sure that their uh, women's, women's national, national team, team could beat them, um, which I'll still stand by. It's still possible. Um, and I had said, you know, how is it that countries like China and India are unable to field competitive teams when they combined? represent you know was it three billion plus people and somebody actually gave a little bit of validity to that argument um i was listening to an episode of freakonomics radio about how to catch world cup fever and that was one of the questions that they kind of proposed is how is it possible that having you know they they put it in you know simpler terms where they said like the raw resources available to china and india by virtue of having like exponentially more people in their countries then, you know, the rest of the Asian nations and the rest of the world in general, you know, how is it possible that they can't field a team? And, and ultimately, they said, you know, if it's not part of the culture, uh, that that is certainly part of it. And, you know, just having raw resources doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to, to make the best the best team. And, wow, that and sounds like something I said team. to you. It does, Phil. So I guess, you know, you're a, you're a freakonomic. So that's good. I'm, that's at least nice. as, I'm at least as smart as Stephen Dubner, which is no faint praise. Well, all right. Uh, that is, uh, I guess that's enough for us. There's a dinging sound in the background, which, uh, I think is our timer, which means it's time for us to hit the road here on this episode of Crossing Broad FC. As always, thanks for listening. Go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad podcast network, including Crossing Broadcast every Monday, Wednesday, and sometimes Friday. Um, Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast with Bob and Anthony. Snow the the Goalie with, uh, uh, me and Anthony Sanfilippo, our Crossing Broad Flyers beat writer. Yeah, Snow the Coley is a Pottsville show. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Uh, Snow the Goalie will have uh, a guest coming up in the next episode or two. It's going to be a pretty big name. Anthony is working on that. The Flyers are awesome about providing us with guests, so that's cool. Um, of course, we are going to have another episode coming up soon, probably with a full recap of what happens in match day three and then really doing a, a solid job of previewing the knockout stage. We very well may have a guest on for that show as well. And uh, go check out It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Kevin Kincaid is now back from his European extravaganza. So he and Dave Zeitlin, I'm sure, are going to be breaking things down about the union, uh, including, I'm, I'm assuming, Sebastian Latou's inaugural uh, Ring of Honor induction that happened uh, last Saturday against the Vancouver Whitecaps. I believe that was a 4-1 or a 4-0 win for the union down in uh, Chester at Talon Energy Stadium. So 
Go check out those shows. Phil and I will be back soon with a recap of Match Day 3, and we'll be looking ahead to the bracket. Don't forget to go uh, subscribe to the show. Let everyone you know that's a soccer fan or anybody who's looking to uh, learn a little bit more about this World Cup. Let them know about Crossing Broad FC. Subscribe to the show. Get on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review, and we will read it on the next show. So uh, for Phil, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening.